I'm fixing to preach a message that will most likely get me evicted from the property. You better hold on to your britches, sweetheart, because in Alabama we call this a humdinger of a word. I'm fixing to step into my robe without intimidation, without fear of opinion, not worried about what Sean's going to think about me, Angie's going to do to me, or what Wendy's going to, where Wendy's going to put me when I'm through. This thing has been burning in my spirit from the day we booked this engagement. I cannot get away from it. I told Wendy what I was going to preach. She said, oh, my, honey, oh, my. Well, that made me feel even worse. But I'm going to preach this today, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to preach this. There's someone just like Michaela sitting in this room. You ain't quite made it to the top just yet. I'm fixing to preach this morning, and there's fixing to be deliverance in this house, and I'm going to make it very plain whether I'm ever invited back here or not. You going to move, and we ain't voting on it. You coming out of Egypt, and you going to do it today. I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to dance. I'm not here to be politically correct. God created me 23 years ago in the pulpit to be an evangelist. And my job is to get you out of Egypt. Brother Sean's job is to get you to the promised land. I've earned the right to preach what I'm about to preach today in this pulpit because I've not come through over the years and been a hard-nosed. What I've done is use wisdom and establish relationships so that you now can trust me. What I'm fixing to preach today is going to hit you right between the eyes. If you're guilty of it, I expect you to move. You can move on your own terms or I'll call you out. Either way, you're going to move. I know leadership's getting nervous and thinking, my God, brother. It's time to get weird because normal isn't working. There's too many good people sitting in this house right now dying and going to hell, amen, and you fooled the pastor. You think you have. You fooled everybody around you. You think you have. The only one fooled you. And you know today is the day of reckoning. I didn't drive three and a half. Well, I drove five and a half hours going on six, come up here and get a paycheck. I didn't come, amen, to go to Texas Roadhouse and fellowship with my friends. I'm on assignment today. God's about to do something miraculous in this room, and you're part of it. So much so, I want you to give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's about to do. Before he even does it. I'm about to throw you a pitch in this room today. Three things are fixing to happen in this house. Somebody's going to catch this. Somebody's going to miss this. And somebody's about to get hit by this. You're either going to catch it. You're going to miss it, or you're going to get hit by it. And I pray today before you leave this room, as I said in the early service, even if you get hit by this, I pray to God you put forth the effort, the energy, and the desire to at least leave the field with the ball in your hand. Don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. Don't excuse it. Don't make excuses. And I'm not here to be politically correct, so neither should you. Open up your spirit. And let the Holy Ghost ambush you right where you sit. Today is your day. It's time for a coming out party. Anybody with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Here we go. 
I'm not going to have you turn to these places because we've already done it on the screen and there will be too much time that's necessary in trying to scramble and find these passages of Scripture. So I've had them put them on the screen for you to follow with me. I'm going to read three passages of Scripture back to back. At any time through this message today, the Spirit of God should convict you and begin to draw you. Do not wait till altar call to come. In 23 years of evangelizing, I've never closed an altar call. Therefore, I'm not going to open one. The whole entire service, amen, these altars are open to you. You don't come when you feel like it. and You don't come when you get ready. You shouldn't wait around till you're invited. You come when the Spirit of God's drawing you. And you come in a hurry before His Spirit lifts off of you. And it costs you more than you want to pay, takes you further than you want to go. And when you get there, you stay longer than you thought about staying. Amen? Luke 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, very quickly. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may shift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Here's my favorite passage in the entire Bible. 2 Timothy 2.26 And that they may recover themselves. Get this, Michaela? Out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil lest Satan should get an advantage of them. The truth is, amen, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And the first verse was this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. The title of my message today is simply the power of deception. But my subtitle being most importantly, and I'll get to it in a moment, is simply entitled the window seat. We don't have a window in this sanctuary. It will be different with the new building, I'm sure. What we have on the PowerPoint behind me is the window. I want you to watch this closely today. Close your Bibles, turn your ringers off, lay them to the side, embrace yourself for an encounter with God. It was with little doubt the most devious deception of the past century, a devilish scheme perpetrated upon trainloads of trusting men, women, and children. It happened on the outskirts of a Polish town during the Second World War. There, under the direction of Adolf Hitler, a slave labor camp was established for people he considered subhuman. It was only after the war's end that the world would learn of the shocking facts of that place today known by the name Auschwitz. Auschwitz was much more than a labor camp. The primary industry there was murder. At least one million people who walked through the iron gates of Auschwitz never made it out alive. A large majority of them didn't have the clue that they and their families would be dead within hours of their arrival. Gathered from all over Nazi-occupied Europe, Jewish families were transported to Auschwitz in crowded freight and cattle cars. Upon arrival, all newcomers were immediately separated into two groups. To the one side went the minority, only those men who appeared to be able to withstand heavy labor. To the other side went everybody else, men of small frame, women, the sick, the frail, the elderly, as well as babies and children who wept as they were separated from their strong fathers. The larger of the two groups was then herded to another place in the camp where their eyes fell upon a very puzzling scene. 
Before them was a small orchestra of young women neatly dressed playing an upbeat, joyful tune. Each girl was concentrating intensely, almost too intensely, on the pages of music before her, seemingly oblivious to the hundreds of people who were now their audience. At once, an apologetic announcement was made. There had to be an infestation of lice in the camp. And everybody, everyone, the men, the women, the frail frame, the children, the babies, must be disinfected in a communal shower before being admitted to the living quarters. Instructed to disrobe, the Jewish family neatly folded their clothes and placed them on a table with their other personal belongings. They were assured that their embarrassment of being nude in front of everybody would be over in just a few minutes once they were sprayed with a harmless disinfectant. As many as 2,000 people at a time were paraded naked through the doors of a large, low building that was built into a hillside. Above the doors was a sign boarded neatly with flowers. The sign simply said, Bathhouse. Once the last person was inside, the doors were slid shut. They were locked securely. The orchestra stopped playing. The little girls laid down their violins. Immediately, without hesitation, through vents from above, Nazi workers began dropping small quantities of Zyklon B crystals, a poison manufactured for killing rodents. Inside, deadly vapors of hydrocyanic gas began to fume inside the ceilings. The clusters of Jewish families quickly realized something was very, very wrong. People began coughing and choking, convulsing and vomiting, shouting and screaming in terror. They panicked, crowding and instinctively surged toward each other. They ran to the sealed doors that they had entered only find them locked. The victim begin to push. They begin to claw and climb over each other hoping desperately to escape their sure fate. Many quickly met their death crushed on the concrete floor by the onrush of 2,000 feet. For the more aggressive, the hellish battle raged on a while longer. And then after 23 minutes, long, agonizing, All struggle ceased. The room was silent. The door slid open. The workers dressed in gas masks and rubber boots began entering in and tangling the, taking the gruesome task of disentangling the bio, piles of, of comforted bodies and, and transporting them to nearby incinerators to be burned to ashes. Finally, the room was efficiently washed of the filth, the vomit, urine, and fecal matter. The final bodily functions of hundreds of thousands of victims, lest the next train load of Jewish families become suspicious of what really happens in the bathhouse. There was a tight schedule to keep. Another train was about to arrive in just minutes, filled with more trusting people to deceive, murder, and incinerate. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen says, Take heed to yourselves that your hearts be not deceived, that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. If we are going to be what God made us to be and do it effectively at Freedom Point, by the way, there are many who are doing it effectively, but there's way too many doing nothing at all. You too are eat up with potential, but it's really hard fighting the devil on the third week when you've been fellowshipping him with the previous two weeks. It's hard to call on the name of a God, amen, that you've been forsaken and ignoring, amen, for months. So what do you do? I'm going to tell you exactly what you do. You keep walking into this building right here like a leech. And you keep sucking the life out of the worship and praise team, sucking the life out of your leadership, sucking the life out of your pastor, sucking the life out of everything, but you give nothing in return. The reality of that is you're eat up with potential. 
But you're living your life fruitless and frustrated because you're missing the mark by a mile. And it was never God's intentions for you to be in the mindset you're in. Are you speaking corporately to the whole congregation? I don't know who I'm talking to, to be frank with you. Honestly, I met most of you at the door when you came in today, and you look just as holy and sanctified and set apart for the Master's use as I do. And the reality of that, I've learned in 23 years of doing this, amen, some folks, amen, hide high good behind a mask, and they know how to camouflage it, sophisticated it, where their marriage is ripped up, pouring on their phone, lying, cheating, and stealing, amen, conniving, amen, ain't got no joy, no peace, no victory, amen, can't even lift their hands, amen, when Nicholas is about to blow a blood vessel in his front face, amen, up here singing his guts out, up here playing their guts out, Everybody's on a level, amen, and you're left behind. How's that mindset working for you, friend? I'm telling you something. Somebody in this house is deceived, and God's been dealing with my heart for a month now to not back down, don't back up, and don't back out, whether it costs you your money, whether it costs you your reputation. If another church throws you away and has nothing else to do with you, amen, if you become the slime of eastern Kentucky, brother, don't you back down, Daniel. God showed me there's two kinds of preachers to Today. One's called Aaron. He lets the people do what the people want to do. Break their earrings off and make themselves a little God that don't talk back to them. In other words, you can come to church here, amen. You don't have to worry about conviction, amen, because all I'm going to do is put you to sleep with my boring teaching, amen, that I didn't start on, amen, until 6 o'clock this morning. Amen, ain't been praying this week, ain't been studying this week, amen, got nothing but greed, love, and money on my mind. But if you'll show up here, we won't rock the boat. If you show up here, amen, nobody will point their finger at you. If you'll come over here, amen, you won't be uncomfortable. No, you'll leave with more joy and less conviction. Just join our little parade. Sad fact is, some of you have. And it's shameful. You know better. The reality of it is, amen, is you know good and well you're in a place right now mentally, emotionally, physically, amen, where you know you're playing games with God and you come to church on Sunday and needing filled up again. The lesson this morning, Sunday school, was being filled up again, being filled up again. I'm sick and tired, amen, of having to fill everybody up again on Sunday morning. Amen, when you should have been putting something in your tank Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday like you expect me and this man to do, amen, at most all you should need Sunday morning is topped off, amen. But no, you keep coming to the house of God and needing filled up again. Because, amen, you've been filled up with the things of the world. You're doing your own thing the way you want to do it. As Frank Sinatra said, amen, I did it my way. Hello. And the reality of it is, amen, how's that working for you, baby? I'm tired of seeing good people with extreme potential, amen, losing it, amen, losing the game of victory. Because they don't take this serious enough. I'm telling you something, folks. Two kinds of preachers. One, amen, one preacher, amen, is Aaron. And Aaron ends up, amen, letting the people do what they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it. The other one's name is Moses. He comes off the mountain with the law in his hands. People don't like hanging out with Moses. Yeah, Moses creates a problem. You know, he disrupts the swag they got going. Hello. Puts a cramp in their style, right? Yeah, so let's hang out with Aaron. But the problem with hanging out with Aaron, amen, is there's going to be death in the camp in a matter of minutes. People's going to die and decease. Amen. Because let me tell you something. We need boundaries. We need restrictions. And we need to get back to the Word of God. Amen. 
Amen. It's not a book. I don't need something opinionated. I need something authoritative. Come on, folks. Amen. The truth is, if we're going to be what God made us to do and do it effectively, we must not become deceived. must resist the power of deception at every level. There's battle being waged against for the souls of this generation. Satan is relentless in his assault. And he'll go to any measure to ensnare, entrap, and entangle the minds and hearts of every one of us in this room. I've come 350 miles one way. We drove six hours yesterday. Amen straight to Corbin, Kentucky on a mission. I'm here to wage a war myself. I walked onto this property this morning with an agenda of my own. Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You will not conquer. You will not win. You will not deceive us any longer. We are the property of God Almighty. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the future, amen, to eastern Kentucky. We represent destiny and hope, and we speak that our minds be renewed our hearts be changed and our tomorrows brighter than ever before put your hands together if you're on the same page with me come on let me tell every one of you in this room today there's a devil that goes to and fro night and day doing his best to deceive the hearts and minds of Americans his ultimate goal is to do nothing less than make sure these same words are proven to be prophetic over your own life you see in the beginning Satan forfeited his purpose and he forfeited his destiny by doing one thing caved into the deception and his plans is to get you and I to do the same much like Adolf Hitler Satan's scheme is made up of the same exact components that worked so well for Hitler deception Destruction, incineration. He deceives you, then he destroys you, and ultimately you burn in a place called hell. And I apologize to this generation, you don't hear enough preaching on hell. That's why there's no fear of God left anymore. We're trying to build a church rather than build a kingdom. Hello! I'm sure you'll agree that it'd be better to discover sooner rather than later if any of you right here today are currently self-deceived. You say, brother, I'm not deceived. I'm born again. I know without a doubt I'm not deceived. Do you realize that's what every deceived person claims? Deceived people don't realize they're deceived. Otherwise, they would no longer be deceived. Hello. I believe it's better to find out right now I could be deceived. I don't think I am. But if I am, I want to know it so I can change. Years ago, I had a friend I ran around with evangelist friend by the name of David Tolbert. Brother David tells about a story of going to the Philippines. He gets off the plane there and he meets a native. Everybody's wondering why the microphone's in the, stand in the middle of the floor and we'll show you what I mean by this. They get off the plane there and a native in the Philippines meets Brother Tolbert. He says, Brother Tolbert, he said, we got a few hours before service begins. I've been waiting for you to arrive. I want to take you to the jungle here. I want to show you something in the Philippines you've never seen before as an American. Brother David said, well, I'm excited. Let's go. So they jump in the car and they make a 45-minute travel out into the jungle. They get to the jungle, they get out of the car. They walk through this bush area, and they go down a little dusty trail. They come to this big, huge opening field, probably about twice as big as the property you sit on right here at Freedom Point. Brother Tober said he noticed right out in the middle of this field was a bamboo hut. It was just made out of bamboo all the way around it, and it was just a square cubicle. It didn't have any windows. It didn't have any doors. It just had those little bamboo slats just barely barely almost touching one another and it was just sitting out in the middle of a field and in the middle of this field in the center of it was a huge pole they called the bait stick 
And this bait stick began to get, Brother Tolbert got inquisitive about what this whole setup was. And the native began to tell Brother Tolbert that here in the Philippines, monkey brains is a delicatessen. Okay? All right? And, and, and like in America, potatoes is, or, or steak is, or hamburger is. And in the Philippines, it's monkey brains. It's high-dollar item, caviar, if you will. And the native began to explain to Brother Tolbert how difficult it is to kill the monkey. That over years, the monkey has drawn an ability, adapted to an ability that he's very shrewd, and, and he knows how to stay right out of blow dart range. Can't hit him with a blow dart. You can't shoot him with a gun. As soon as you pull it out, he hides. It's hard to kill him. So how do you get your hands on the monkey to get the brains to make the money? He says, very easy, Mr. Tolbert. He says, at a certain time of the year, he said, we have a plant here that blooms and blossoms, and it's almost like an opiate plant, if you will. And it creates a jelly form. And you take the plant and you bust this bulb open when you do. It's got this opium inside of it, this addictive jelly that this monkey, man, will go insane over. And they take this, this jelly and they pour it over the bait stick. And the problem is that the bait stick is buried four feet in the ground and there's four feet left, amen. And so what winds up happening, they take it, put it in the ground, put this bamboo cage over it, tie the bamboo cage down to the ground so the monkey can't tear the bait. And the whole time they're doing this, the monkeys are in the trees watching knows exactly what they're up to and what they're going to do. They've seen it happen before. But the monkeys can't resist. So they watch and they watch and they watch. And they get excited and jump up and down on limbs and swing from ropes to ropes. They're, they're getting excited because they know what's fixing to happen. They bring the bulbs out. They break the bulbs. They pour it over it. Brother Tobert said that jelly began to ooze down the bait stick as it began to puddle there on the ground. And as it puddled on the ground, the native looked at Brother Tobert and said, we got the monkey in the bag. Let's go get behind the bush and hide. Watch what's about to happen. And as Brother Tobert said, but the monkeys are watching us. There ain't no monkey going to be stupid enough to come out of that tree and come across this field. And Brother Tobert said, how's this going to happen? And the native said, just watch. Said, the wind is our guide. Once the wind begins to blow in a certain direction and the monkey gets a hint of what we just did, hey man, they'll come out of the trees. Watch very closely. They went and hid behind the bush. They cowered down and began to watch. And Brother Tober said he began to look around Nicholas and these monkeys were getting excited. It was almost like a rival was beginning to happen. All of a sudden the wind began to blow in their direction and the monkey man got a whiff of what it was he lust for. All of a sudden he starts climbing down the vine. The whole time he's climbing down he's watching David. He's watching the native. All of a sudden the man he gets to the ground and he walks across the field and he's watching David and he's watching the native and he's getting closer and closer to the bait stick. All of a sudden he gets to the cage and it's just wide enough for that monkey to slip his hands through and he takes his finger and he wipes it pulls his hand back out and licks it and the moment that he does he goes absolutely nuts he grabs a hold of the cage and starts trying to tear the cage up but he can't do it so he knows his only other option is get the stick so he runs his hand back through there and he grabs a hold of the bait stick and the moment that he does and grabs a hold of that bait stick Native looked over at Brother Tober and said, let's go get him. Reaches in his bag and pulls out, hey man, what they call a monkey club. It's a long stick with a big knob on the end of it. And they start walking out across the field. And all of a sudden when they do, all the other monkeys begin to scream. And the noise gets erratic. And the place goes nuts. And this monkey, man, holding on to this bait stick, he sees them coming. All he's got to do is monkey turn loose and just let go. But he won't turn it loose because, hey man, he's lusting for it. He's waited for it. It's what he's lived for. He's got a 
an expectation of how good it's going to be, but he's deceived, and he don't even know it. All he's got to do is let go, and he can slide out and run for safety, but he won't do it. Brother Tobert said they got closer and closer to that monkey, and as they got closer to that monkey, he said, listen, Angie, said that monkey started kicking up dirt. He started kicking up dust, and he was showing his fangs at him and trying to intimidate him and trying to get him to leave him alone. Brother Tobert said we got closer and closer, and said so we reared back at monkey club, and the moment that we did the last thing that monkey did was turned around and raised his eyebrows real high and a big tear run down his face as that native hit him in the back of the head with that club and killed him instantly and Brother Tobert came back to America preaching the message that I'm going to deliver to you right now it's entitled monkey turn loose all you gotta do is turn loose monkey all you gotta do is let go and let God and you can rise to the top with Michaela so many will hold on to that bait stick. Won't let it go until it's too late. The truth of the fact of it is, and listen closely to me. In the book of Acts chapter 20, looking at the screen, the window behind me. Don't turn there, I ain't got time to read the story. You already know the story. It's the story of the young man who fell out of a window. His name was Eutychus while the apostle Paul was preaching. If you're familiar with that story, raise your hand across this room. Oh, I thought you would. Amen. And listen to me. The Apostle Paul's been preaching a meeting on the third floor of a storefront building in this particular city. And there attending his service is a, is a guy by the name of Eutychus uh, sitting somewhat attentively as Paul goes on preaching quite some time. Amen. So, Renata, quit opening your mouth about how long I am. Uh, that goes for you too, Brother Bobby. Come on. Amen. I'm just being like Brother Paul. Amen. I'm just going on a long time. Hello. So going on a long time is biblical. Amen. Hello. Listen, sitting somewhat attentively as Paul goes on preaching quite some time, what was interesting about this man is where he chose to sit. Listen to me. The Bible tells us that Eutychus sat in the window. Somebody say the window seat. Say that one more time, the window seat. You know what? I'm not sure if you find that interesting, but I sure do, and I'm going to tell you why I find that interesting. Is because in reality, Pastor, there's certainly no such place from a natural perspective. Because the window is not made for sitting in, right? If anybody's ever built a home, you don't put a window in the wall, amen, so you can sit in it. The purpose for a window is a primary role is to provide a place through which light and fresh air can enter the room, not sit in. Nevertheless, in a spiritual sense, God's revealed to me 45 minutes ago before this service started that there would be somebody under the sound of my voice just like this man named Eutychus. Somebody today is sitting in the most dangerous place you could ever find yourself, the window seat. In this passage, we can assume any number of reasons as to why he finds himself in this place. Ultimately, I'll tell you the reason he's there is because he's deceived. Because he assumes it is no big deal to be seated there, yet not realizing it's about to become his device. But theoretically... There are other reasons we could assume as to why he made this horrible choice to sit in the window seat. You better listen to me. My God, hear this. Number one, let me give you a few observations as to why I think it's possible why he sit in a window seat. Could it be number one, the house was crowded, no place left to sit. The only option left was a window frame. That's possible because it is the Apostle Paul preaching not Daniel Couch at 8.45 on Sunday morning. Hello, amen. Huh? So the house was packed. I mean, the apostle Paul is in town, and that could be a reason why he chose to sit in the window. No other place left to sit. 
Number two, it could have been that he was a hot summer night, the room was stuffy, and he wanted some fresh air. That's possible too. But as logical as these reasons sound, I just can't bring myself, Dwight, to believe either one is truly the case. You want to know why? Honestly, I come closer to believing that because of deception, he had begun to become disinterested in what was taking place inside. I looked around the room this morning at this level of worship and praise. And I looked around this room this morning at some of you who are not visitors. I'm going to go one more step. You're not even from a Baptist background. You understand what happens in a Pentecostal church, a full gospel church. A church. You're, this is, you're familiar with this. And I look back there at some of you this morning, and I'm not going to call any names, but you just sit back there and you're looking at your watch and you're yawning, you're just piddling with this, you're just playing with that, you're playing with this over there. I even caught three of you with your cell phones out. This is what you were doing. Ain't you had enough of Facebook the last six days? Can't you put that up for about 45 minutes, say, man, and put your attention where it belongs? It's a shame and disgrace. We're almost at the place in church today. We've got to start treating adults like children, amen, and taking up your cell phones, amen, before you enter class. Huh? Oh, but I got my Bible on here. You know, mess. Ain't a one of you in this house can read that fast. Reality of it is, I'm perplexed what my wife and me and my children would give to have a freedom point close to my house within driving distance where we could attend on Sunday and do what you guys did every stinking week. And then you even get choices. You go to the early service or you can go to the later service. One's just as powerful. I mean, how much more do we have to cater to? What more do we have to give you? You don't even have to have cash. And you can still give an offering. For those of you watching live stream, you don't even have to get here to be a part of this service. What more do we have to I think you've been given too much to start with, and the house is full of spoiled brats, if you ask me. Wendy's rear end just went. She's thinking, we got a truck payment, we got a truck payment. Shut that up, we got a truck payment. Hello. No need to ask you for anybody to partner with our ministry now. Amen. They just went out the window. Thanks, Daniel. You do it every dead gum time. Hello. Spoiled. You're so spoiled. And I look around the room and I see a quarter, third maybe. Not even that much, but enough. Just not engaged at all. I'm thinking, how in God's name can you call yourself a Christian set in an environment like that we had a while ago and tell me you have an inward dwelling and yet nobody ever sees an outward manifestation? To tell me you have an inward dwelling, you've been impregnated by the Holy Ghost called salvation, born again? <laughs> to tell me you've got an inward dwelling? And nobody ever sees an outward manifestation of what you say you have. You're deceived, baby. You ain't got no inward dwelling. And if you did, you've either aborted it or miscarried it because you didn't take care of it. And claim to be born again. I started standing at the back door today and just really pushed the envelope like I'm not already doing it. 
And ask every head that walked in this house today, do you know God? And every one of you would have told me, yeah. The question I want to ask is, at what level do you know him? Huh? At what level do you know him? Some of you just know him on Sunday morning at 845. Some of you just know him on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Some of you, amen, only familiar with him about 45 minutes a week, amen. But as soon as we turn out the lights, you clock out, go right on back to amen, the drinking stuff you shouldn't be drinking, smoking stuff you shouldn't be smoking, watching stuff you shouldn't be watching, saying stuff you shouldn't be saying, acting ways you ought not be acting. Then you come back to the house of God and ain't filled up all over again and wonder why your pastor's burned out, why they're frustrated with ministry at times. Amen, I'm telling you right now, friend, you got to get to a place of understanding. Never has the Bible changed it is still a body and we function together but it's really hard to pick somebody and care a man when the thumbs always sore honestly I come closer to believing because of the deception he'd become to become disinterested in what was taking place inside there's the answer that's the reason why you sit back there and all this happening a while ago, amen. I'm not going to question your salvation when you walk with God. I'm not God. I can't go that far. I can tell you the tree's known by the fruit that it bears, and it don't look real good, buddy. Amen. But I'm going to tell you ultimately what it is, amen, is you completely checked out and disinterested in any dead gum thing they say, any dead gum thing they sing. It don't matter who's up here. It could bring in T.D. Jakes, and you're still yawning your way through it. The reality of it is is because you're disinterested. You're disengaged. You wouldn't act like that, amen, if it was the Wildcats play. And would you? Hello. You wouldn't act like that, amen, if it was boy blue, amen, went running the football. You wouldn't act like that, amen, if it was something that satisfied your flesh. But you come in here disengaged, disinterested. You say right now, brother, you're making me mad. Well, you're the one I'm preaching to. And I'm doing it deliberately, intentionally, and willfully, amen. So just put that in your pot and smoke it. The truth of the fact of it is, amen, playing softball with some of you don't work. And you wonder why your kids end up going down the road. Me and Michaela been on. I got a right to preach this. I was raped, molested by a man when I was three years old. He took me into the bathroom and zipped his britches. And if that's too perverted for you, we do have a nursery. You're welcome to go. I'm just telling my story. You're being ugly, preacher. No, I'm not. I'm just being just splat down the middle. It's the only way I know how to throw a ball. Split it right down across the home plate. This is where we are. Don't give me this stuff where politics don't belong in the pulpit. Only ones who ever say that, amen, are liberals, amen, to begin with. Amen, you ain't got no problem with Reverend Jesse Jackson bringing politics to a pulpit. You ain't got no problem with Reverend Al Sharpton bringing politics to a pulpit. It just ticks you off when Reverend Daniel Couch does it, huh? huh? Reality of it is you ain't got a problem with politics in a pulpit. You just got a problem, amen, living according to the Word of God. If it don't matter one minute before the baby's born, why does it matter one minute after it's born? Hello? Thank God I'm from a state, amen, we quit killing babies and elected Trump. And I ain't ashamed of it either. That was a setup. Four of you didn't clout. Now I know where the liberals are. Moving right along. Boom, baby. Got you again, didn't I? I see what you're doing. You didn't think that's funny at all. You shouldn't be up here doing that. Here's the reality of it, guys. The reality of it is, is we got to get to a place in our life where we clock in and become what we were created to be. You want to know why our world is burning down like Rome? It's because there's political correctness in the pulpit today that seeks to not offend anybody anymore except God. 
And I cannot believe yesterday the disgusting thing that I'm looking down, man, at a, at a mayor in South Bend, Indiana, who has a husband. And running for president and getting off the ground pretty good. Are you kidding me? We are messed up in this world. Well, you shouldn't preach like that. They're they born that way. Then get born again. That'll fix you. Hello. Huh? Messed up in this society. No more got commas that just left North Carolina. They told me, I said, brother, you're the Donald Trump of preachers. I said, no, hold on a minute. My hair don't look near that bad. Amen. Huh? Right? Nobody's ever seen me in the pulpit, amen, doing it. Huh? Going to be great. So that was Donald Trump of preachers. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you just tell it like it is. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So they come back the next night and brought me a T-shirt in a little bag. And I got in the pulpit. And they said, put it on before you preach. So I reached in the back. Pastor over here having a laugh. Man, he's killing himself laughing. I pulled it out. Put it I put it on. And it says, make church great again. <laughs> Why not? You know how you make it great again? Some preaching like this don't hurt every once in a while. Brings everything right back into balance. You're not careful, you'll come out of one ditch and fall right over in another ditch. We need balance back in our lives, guys. There ain't none of us any count. Everybody in the room has a story. My sister was shot and killed when I was 19. She was 24. From there, I wound up getting into drugs and alcohol. From there, I became a male dancer at 20 years of age. From there, it went to sex, brothel, swinger clubs, and everything else you could think of. From there, amen, it went to dealing drugs, amen. From dealing drugs, it wound up, amen, snorting powder cocaine, sticking needles in my veins, the whole nine yards before it was all over with. I was making three to $4,000 a week in clear-cut profit. I had the sharpest car. I had all the women. I had all the dope. I had all the alcohol. I had the reputation. I had the pad, the crib. Today we call it debt. Come on, amen. Huh? I had everything the world was described as being successful. But the problem with that is, is the most miserable people I've ever seen in my life are those who have everything they want except the power to enjoy it. None of it made me happy. Everything I reached for was like trying to stick a square peg in a round hole. No matter how I twisted it and bent it and contorted it, it wouldn't fit the emptiness in my life. I ended up on the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. Sleeping in a cardboard box and eating out of McDonald's and Burger King dumpsters. I know what it's like to throw a coon and a cat out of a dumpster so I can fix, finish off a 10-piece nugget or a Big Mac sandwich. The reality of that is I've wound up trying to commit suicide and blow my brains out. You want to know why I preach like I preach? You want to know why I'm not intimidated by the way people are looking at me right now? You want to know why, man, I'm not feeling threatened by any of you? It's because I've already hit rock bottom. It's because I've already been kicked in the teeth. I've already been laughed at. I've already been rejected. I've already been suicidal. I've already had nothing to start over with. I've already been broke, busted, disgusted, bad breath, and bad head. I've already been there, baby, and you can't do anything to me now. Amen. To even compare to where I've been, I'm telling you something. Deception. I wind up, amen, playing Russian roulette with a bull, one bullet. Spin the revolver, hit the bottle, pull the hammer, pull the trigger. Spin the revolver, hit the bottle, pull the hammer, pull the trigger. Spin the revolver, pull the hammer, hit the bottle, pull the trigger. Till I wake up the next morning laying them on urine and feces. For those of you, amen, talking about me a while ago, looking over at your neighbor with a smirk on your face, now, amen, how do you feel now that you know where I've come from? I'm not that cocky, arrogant, 
everything you thought I was. You begin to see a little clearly now why he's so aggressive. That boy ain't playing no games. He ain't for self. I didn't get where I'm at because of everybody's vote. I said I didn't get where I am today because of everybody's vote. And never has it been more, more hard to stand strong than it is the day and time we're living in. It's truth. We got to preach shorter. We got to condense it shorter. We can't bring Joel Osteen into it. We got to leave pop politics out of it. You can't preach on abortion. Leave homosexuality alone. Amen. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. I'll leave if you mention cigarettes. Amen. Don't talk no more. Amen. In two and a half minutes about money. Amen. Stop this. Quit that. Start this. Stop that. It's almost like, amen. We're trying to get a, you know, an extreme makeover. That's where you trim this down, cut that off, pull this out, push that in. Hello. And before it's all over with, we don't know what in God's name we are anymore. Hello. Never has there been more pressure put on me to compromise. I'm 46 years old, I'm not the young sprout I used to be 20 years ago. When I could care less. I had the energy and the effort. Now my body wears out. My belly's poking out. My eyes have gone out. Hello. It's all right, Nicholas. You're going to look just like me. Real bad for you because you're shorter. You're moving right along. Hello. Going to catch up with you, son. Amen. Right now, you look like a little stud. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, that's all going to change one of these days. Amen. You're going to be looking for a pair of them, too. Where'd y'all go? Oh, there you are. Huh? October the 16th, 1994, Michaela. I had a head-on collision with God, and it killed the old man. I know what it's like to be deceived. But the reality of it is, I come closer to believing that he just become disinterested in what was taking place inside the house of God. Freedom Point, please. If that's you today, and you're just growing numb to all the energy, the effort, the hours, and the workload that leadership pumps into you, come to this altar and realize your problem is not without. Your problem is within. They give you no reason to be disconnected and disinterested. Well, my God, brother, everybody don't worship the same. I know, that's the problem. Hello? I'm convinced the word of God was no longer exciting to him, and he had over time eventually slipped further and further away from the presence of the Lord. Does this sound like anybody in here today, my friend? Yes, it does. Because somebody just like Eutychus, you too are slipping further and further away from the presence of God. I just wonder if there's anybody this evening right now that no longer finds the things of God at Freedom Point to be excited. But rather, you've become bored and disinterested and unplugged in the things of God. Who are you, friend? I done found four of you already. I'm still looking. Listen to me. Herein lies the danger of the window seat. Get a good look at it behind me. Watch this, Brother Sean. The window is the place where you can be inside and still see what's going on outside. There is today in our society a spirit of deception that has somehow crept its way into our church pews and on our platforms, and it's hindered our ability to be effective any longer. It is the spirit that wants all the blessings of God, the healings, the miracles, the prosperity, the favor, amen, without a commitment. Amen, if there's a line for blessing, they'll be the first one to get in line. But if it means commitment, dedication, consecration, sanctification, repentance, pulling their mask off, getting real, 
That's when, for some strange reason, the bladder goes to acting up. They pretend to get a Facebook notification. They slap a kid that's dead asleep. Come on, hello. Amen. That's the reality of it. Amen. The spiritual condition is what I call the window seat. And it's not a place any of us in this room particularly need to be. If you will allow me, very quickly, I'm going to make a few observations concerning the window seat. I literally went and took my rear end and sat down in a window frame for probably about an hour and 40 minutes to get the revelations of what I'm fixing to preach to you. So this all came from a personal experience, a notepad, and a pen. Number one, get ready, here I come. From the window seat, it seems you have the best view in the house. Jerry Burns, you see those in the house today sitting in the window seat, you think you have the advantage over everybody else seated because you can see all the problems in the church. You hear every sour note. You know exactly everybody's business. You can see all the weaknesses of everybody around you. You see all the faults of those around you as well. Yet at the same exact time from the window seat, things that you've left outside are easy to see as well. Things that God delivered you come back into view while sitting in the window seat. Things that you had shut the door on and left outside. Things you knew were destroying your life, hurting your body, causing division in your family. All of a sudden they become visible again from the window seat. They become attractive. So no wonder those in the window seat think they have the advantage they get an up close and personal view of the church life while never really having to lose sight of the world that's strong meat for freedom point guys are not mean they're not ugly and I'm glad we took up the offering before I preach this but in reality of it is room for improvement is the largest room in the world you hear what I just said? Room for improvement is the largest room in the world. There's no one sitting in this room that doesn't need improvement, friend. Whether you like me right now or you're still hung up on my comment about politics, amen. And about 15 minutes past that, but if you're still hung up back there, amen, and ticked off and you formulated an opinion of me and you think you already know me inside and out because of one comment that didn't sit right with you, you're of all men most miserable. And it liberates me because I know that I'm not your problem. It's obvious you had that problem before you walked in here and met me this morning. Come on. You're overly sensitive about everything, friend. And reality of that is if you was as sensitive to God as you are one another, amen, you wouldn't be miserable. Hello? Friend, let me tell you something. You will never be able to stand and proclaim the righteousness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God until you lose sight of the world. You cannot desire the world in its presence simultaneously. It's impossible to walk in the Spirit but fulfill the lust of your flesh at the same time. Number two, and I only have three points. Something else I've observed about the window seat is that the window seat is not only a very uncomfortable place to be, it's a very dangerous place to be as well. Watch this. Just like Eutychus in our opening text, there are many that are deceived into believing that they can look and gaze at the things of the world, flirt and associate with the people of the world, and it won't have any effect on them whatsoever. Thus forgetting that wrong voices provokes wrong choices. Right voices provokes right, right choices. If you follow in the crowd, you'll quit following the cloud. They say to themselves, I'm strong, brother. I go to Freedom Point. Pastor Sean and Angie are my leaders. I won't fall, brother. I've been going there for years. You're being too radical, Brother Couch. My God, preacher, you're so legalistic. Why don't you take a chill pill and relax? I got this. So they start flirting with the thoughts of how much fun it would be to just one more time call up that old worldly friend and say hi. I mean, we're not going to go out. I'm not going to meet them at Applebee's. You know, Ruby Tuesdays has went out of business. Amen. Hello. 
We won't go there either. I just want to call them up and check on them. That's what I want to do. Maybe start pondering what it would be like to drink one more beer. Not the whole can. Just taste it. That's all. That's all I want to do. Perhaps just smoke a joint. I mean, I'm not going to buy a quarter bag. I'm not going to get skunk weed because somebody busted with me in my pocket. It's like I said. So I'm just going to get some Colombian gold and hide it, amen, and a filtered cigarette. Ain't nobody going to be able to tell it. I mean, my God, we're in Las Vegas. It's legal. You're laughing. Won't be long to be in Kentucky. It's on its way like everything else is. So encouraged this week. Talking about the power of influence. University of Alabama. I'm not getting football crazy on you guys. I could, but I won't. University of Alabama turned down $22.5 million and sent it right back to a liberal and said, you know what, you're not going to dictate our college. Got ticked off and mad because of the law we just passed in Alabama where it's a felony to have an abortion on any level. And he got mad and spent $22.5 million donating it into the University of Alabama and tried to get all the kids to boycott. Leadership of Alabama got wind of it, sent the $22.5 million back to him and said, Alabama's not for sale. Thank God for that. You know, how about listening to an old song you used to enjoy? You know, that's exactly right. I'm not going to be Eminem, but R. Kelly would be nice. Come on, hello. The list goes on and on and on. Of course, they think they'd never do it. I'm just going to be around just thinking about it. That's all. I mean, I don't plan on getting drunk. All I really want to do is just see what it's like, just fit in, that's all. I mean, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm not going to experience a hangover. I've just been thinking about it, Brother Couch, that's all. So would you just chill? Yet the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place. I looked up the word place, Sean. You know what place in the Greek means? Window of opportunity. Neither give a window of opportunity to the devil. That's what it says. I think it wise to point out something right here worth noting before I close. Eutychus, I'm sure, never intended to fall. This was not a deliberate act of suicide. He was not depressed and suicidal. He was simply distracted by the things of the world. And it lured him attention to the point he lost all reasoning of the value of God's word being ministered. In other words, from pastor, it just becomes Sean. From pastor, it's just Angie. Yeah, you know, it's just Nicholas. Yeah, it's just Nick. So I know him since he was, I changed his diaper. Huh? He was simply distracted by the things of the world and it lured his attention to the point he lost all reason the value of God's word. Amen. So he started dozing and then started what's called a slow fade and ultimately fell to his death all because he never took notice of the slow fade. I'm telling you this fall was not pre-planned, church. He didn't set out that day, amen, to fall out of a window. He left the house that even with great intentions, amen, his Bible, his notepad, and his pen of pleasing the Lord and receiving something. But somewhere along his journey, I said somewhere along the journey, I said somewhere along the journey he got sidetracked, distracted flat out deceived by the things of the world all because of where he chose to sit nobody sits out to fall in this life nobody sits out pursuing defeat and utter failure, so why does it occur as often as it does why so many fall on the wayside, preachers alike why so many that used to walk in the garden the cool of the day with the Lord now living defeated and fruitless lives the answer is found in Hebrews 2 verse 3 how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer to falling out the window seat, spiritually speaking, is this. Neglect, plain and simple. Here's the reality of it. Some of you ain't fell out the window yet, but you fade in that way. 
And God sent me up here today to throw you a lifeline and tell you the reason why you never seen Jesus Christ fall out of a window is because of John 8, 29, where Jesus said, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. In the life of this man, Eutychus, he was simply not submitted to the authority of God, which caused him to lose interest in the things of God, move to the window seat where he could be closer to the world, and eventually fall out of the window flat on his face. And what's worse is that he didn't even see it coming. I'm trying to prevent that from happening in somebody's life today. And if it's already happened in your life, it's not too late to do what's right. He was simply deceived and blindsided by the enemy. This man fell three stories up, way up from the bottom, which tells me, Brother Sean, that even the most spiritual, like you and I, must be watchful and diligent, lest we too fall. All right? On my notes has a word called closing. I'm done with the final point today, and I'll get out of your hair, and I'll see you again in two more years. By the way, was that probation, brother, or was it just mine? Final point, last point. I'm going to lower the lights. Have Brother Nicholas, if he will, to come and play me something softly, amen. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to get out of your comfort zone, break rank, break routine, break formality, break tradition, break ritual. Give you an opportunity to come to the altar and say, my God, I want to thank you for busting me today, Lord. The final point I'll bring out today is this. Why did Eutychus fall to his death? You ready for this, church? Raise your hand if you're ready for this final point. This is what I've been waiting a month to come and tell you, this point right here. Why did he fall to his death? Why does anybody fall to their death? Because he eventually found himself more out than he was in. When you're out of church more than you're in church, when you're out of fellowship more than you're in fellowship. When you're out of the Word of God more than you're in the Word of God. When you're out of His will rather than in His will, then you're doomed to fall every single time. I can't help but wonder who it is under the sound of my voice right now sitting in the window seat today. God's been dealing with me six hours away from you, not having a clue what's going on in your world. Your name not even on my mind. But yet, man, you on God's mind. That he would take a day to formulate a single service and send somebody six hours one way, six hours back. I don't even have a revival this week. This is my revival this week right here. I don't even have anywhere to be the rest of the week. He would clear my schedule to find one monkey he might convince to turn loose. Friend, if you find it easier to stay out of the altar than you do get in it, you're more out than you're in. You're flirting with a fall. You find it easier to stay out of your Bible more than you're in it, then you too, friend, are more out than you are in. You're flirting with a fall. Find it easier to run and ignore the will of God than you do run and embrace the will of God. You're more out than you are in. You're flirting with a fall. You find it easier to rebel than obey. You're more out than you are in. You're just about to fall. You find it much easier to defend what's biblically wrong and in return condemn what's right. And I hope this gets posted on YouTube, amen, so Hollywood wouldn't get a taste of it. 
for all you liberals calling yourselves Christians and you defend what's biblically wrong. And in return, you condemn those that are right according to this standard. You, my friend, have found yourself more out than you're in, and in my opinion, you're probably already falling out the window. I can't help but wonder who is it right here today that you found yourself more out than you are in. A time when God's begging you to stand and proclaim His righteousness. Who is it today that's teetering between safety and fatality? Anybody ready to break that cycle of defeat and deception off of your life? Scripture tells us, Sean, it was at midnight this young man fell from the window seat. You know what that says, Jerry Burns? All through Scripture, midnight was a very critical time. It was midnight when the death angel passed through the Egypt and smote the firstborn. It was midnight when the cry was made that woke the sleeping virgins. It was midnight when Paul and Silas turned the corner and turned their pain into praise. Midnight is the halfway point. We just lowered the lights to make it midnight at Freedom Point. Midnight is where it can go either way, friend. Midnight speaks of decision time. Certainly this window seat could not be comfortable, and neither is it for those of you sitting in it today. Anybody here ever noticed that at first, the thoughts of the things of the world in the beginning of your journey with God are painful to even think about? You hear that song that drops the elf bomb that you used to juke with. Now you hear it and it makes you disgusting and offensive. God, I wish they'd turn that off. I don't want to hear that. I mean, at first, in the beginning, when you start this journey with Jesus, Michaela, we think shame on me for even thinking about those things in my past. Very uncomfortable. How many of you generals in the faith have ever noticed that the longer you sit in an uncomfortable position, you eventually grow numb to how uncomfortable it really is. We sometimes refer to it as my foot's going to sleep or my leg tingling and numb. In other words, the longer you allow yourself to think about, meditate on, and view the things outside the window, the more comfortable it becomes until suddenly you're now numb to what used to convict you, what used to bother you, and now without any warning, you're falling, you're falling, you're falling, you're gone! Falling into that lust, falling into those old associations, falling back into the ways of talking, falling back into those desires you thought were dead and long gone, falling back into those habits that God delivered you from. And it all started, Angie, with where we chose to sit, the window seat. Somebody today needs to listen to me. I'm done in 60 seconds. You need to change seats. You need to get up out of the window seat and run to the mercy seat. Somebody else today, let me say to you, you're not sitting in the window just yet, but you've been drifting that way for a while and you know it. Because of the power of deception, you have found yourself on a fully loaded, crowded cattle cart on a trip you thought was taking you to a shower communion. But today you have discovered the journey you're on is straight to the death chamber. You've been deceived, my friend. The time has come to exit the cattle cart. Monkey, turn loose. Monkey! Turn loose.